Welcome to The Greek Current, a podcast by Halk and Kathy Marini. I'm your host, Thanos Davelis. With its recent decision to completely lift the Cyprus arms embargo, Washington is now in a position to take its relations with Nicosia to the next level. At the same time, as three scholars at the Foundation for Defensive Democracies argue, this move also presents a valuable opportunity to reach an agreement with Nicosia to transfer some of its Russian-made arms to Ukraine in return for the provision of modern U.S. equipment and other security assistance. Brad Bowman, the senior director of the Center on Military and Political Power at the FDD, joins me to break down how, with some savvy geopolitical maneuvering, the Biden administration could get Ukraine weapons it needs and already knows, while helping a strategic partner and promoting Western interests in the Eastern Mediterranean. Brad, great to have you back on The Greek Current. It's great to join you again. I really appreciate it. Brad, aside from being a historic move, you've argued that the U.S. decision to completely lift the arms embargo on Cyprus now also presents the United States with a unique opportunity. Can you break this down for us? Yeah, absolutely. In your lead up there, you did a really nice job kind of summarizing the context and the main point. But just for the listeners, if helpful, maybe to kind of review the backdrop so that they fully appreciate the significance of what we observed here. So, you know, the Biden administration announced on September 16th that it's lifting this decades-old arms embargo on Cyprus for the coming fiscal year. So it's not a permanent lifting. It's kind of a one-year thing that they're going to keep relooking this administration and future administrations each year. And it really is, I think, a, a historic milestone. As your listeners may know, or some of them may know, it was originally an act enacted in 1987. And the big idea was to prevent an arms buildup on the island and really to push Cyprus, Turkey, and Greece to reach an agreement through diplomacy. And, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, honestly, at least from my perspective, that looks a little bit naive now, because in reality, the only thing that the embargo succeeded in doing was depriving Cyprus of the means of buying U.S. arms. And as I've observed in my research over and over again, when countries can't procure American arms, they're not just going to sit there and leave themselves vulnerable and unarmed. They go and find those arms elsewhere. And that's exactly what Cyprus did in procuring weapons that they thought they needed and that they could afford from other countries, including Russia. And so my colleagues at the FDD, John Shanzer, I argued in May of 2019, I'm proud to say that Washington should lift the arms embargo on Cyprus. We argued then that it would help counter the designs of Russia, China, and Turkey in the region. It would help Cyprus and it would also advance U.S. defense strategy in the region. So the Trump administration did a partial lifting in 2020, but the September 16th announcement by the administration fully lifts it, at least for fiscal year 2023, and that allows the export, the re-export, and the transfer of defense articles to Cyprus for the next fiscal year. You know, the administration was able to do this because it could certify to Congress, pursuant to U.S. law, that Cyprus was doing a number of things, and this includes positive work related to anti-money laundering, financial regulatory oversight, and frankly, also denying Russian military vessels access to ports for refueling and servicing. But to answer your question more directly, I really do think this decision offers a really valuable opportunity if the Biden administration can pull it off, has a little vision and, like you said, a little savvy diplomatic maneuvering. It would help Cyprus. It would help Ukraine. It would help secure U.S. interests and would promote regional security. Now, that's kind of vague. Let me be more specific. In the short term, Cyprus could provide Kyiv weapons that it desperately needs to kind of fight Putin's unprovoked invasion in Ukraine. And if they're replaced by U.S. arms, and that's a big if that we can talk about, it could also help move Cyprus further out of Moscow's orbit. It could improve the preparedness of Cyprus military forces. And like I said, it could enhance their ability to work with the U.S. and also promote regional security in the eastern Mediterranean. Cyprus's Russian-made wares are among more than 6,300 weapon systems available for potential transfer from a variety of countries to Ukraine. 
Why are transfers like this so crucial for Kyiv? You know, absolutely. So Kyiv is confronting the largest land invasion since World War II. And as anyone watching the news knows, Kyiv is doing very well on the battlefield as demonstrating great bravery and agility in, in fighting this unprovoked invasion but obviously are losing thousands of people and hundreds and hundreds of equipment. And the United States and our European allies have tried to send Western weapons, which Kyiv has welcomed. But those weapons, in many cases, Ukraine has never operated before. So it takes time to train Ukrainian forces on those weapons. We've been able to overcome that. Sometimes we overplay how difficult that is, especially in you know, the March timeframe. We've learned that we can do it. But nonetheless, it takes time to train them on new weapons. And also, you know, we can only provide so many of those because we have limited industrial bandwidth and we only can pull so much from our existing stocks. So that means as Ukrainian armored personnel carriers and tanks and artillery pieces are destroyed in battle or wear out or need replacement parts, that means we need to simultaneously be looking for Russian origin, Soviet origin equipment elsewhere that we can provide Ukraine equipment that they already know how to use. And we've done a lot of that in Europe for obvious reasons. But some colleagues of mine, you know, Ryan Bropes and John Hardy, and I conducted a study in July. And as your question said, we identified over 6,300 relevant systems held by select non-NATO countries. And we focused on those nations that we thought would be most likely to agree to the transfer of the arms to Ukraine. And we used a data set by the International Institute for Strategic Studies from 2021. So we looked for weapons that Ukraine already operates, so they would have that familiarity I discussed or that are quite similar to weapons that they already operate. And we didn't want to just kind of say, okay, hey, this country has the weapons, but there's no, you know, there's a snowball's chance and you don't know where that they would actually transfer them. So we also try to get a sense whether there might be political will in the government to transfer some of these arms. And to measure that, we looked at uh, UN General Assembly votes on whether Russia should withdraw from Ukraine. We looked at votes to suspend Russia from the UN Human Rights Council. And we looked at which countries attended the U.S. organized Ukraine defense contact group. And based on that, 23 countries met at least one of those criteria, including Cyprus. And according to our research, Cyprus, again, from this 2021 database, Cyprus possesses 82 T-80 tanks. These are these advanced Russian-made tanks. They have 43 BMP-3 infantry fighting vehicles. They have 11 of these Mi-35 helicopters. They have a range of air defense systems and multiple launch rocket systems. All the things, frankly, exactly the things that Ukraine needs right now to conduct combined arms counteroffensives to retake their own land and then hold it once they retake it. And so as you know, John Shanzer, Ryan Brooks, and I noted in our piece this week in Breaking Defense, all of these systems I just named are currently operated by Ukraine or close variants of them. So in other words, they could be immediately integrated into the Ukrainian armed forces as they conduct these counteroffensive that I talked about. And I'm not saying this is a substitute in any way for the West continuing to provide Western weapons, but you know, Kyiv does not have the luxury of waiting years for these high-end, frankly, better Western systems to arrive in sufficient quantity. So that's why we need to look far and wide for these Russian Soviet origin weapons. And the Russian vehicles, artillery, and air defense systems that Cyprus has can do like three specific things. It can augment Kyiv's existing inventory. It can replace equipment losses like I've already talked about. And they can also sustain existing systems. And that last point is something that's not often widely or fully appreciated is that you know, things wear out and the system may not be destroyed, but you, know, you need a part or you need this or that. And of course, logistics and sustainment are difficult in war. And so that's another way that these arms in Cyprus could help Kyiv.
Considering that Turkey still illegally occupies the northern part of Cyprus, posing a direct threat to the Republic of Cyprus, Nicosia is unlikely to transfer its Russian-made weapons to Ukraine unless it's confident that the United States will provide replacements. Is Washington able or prepared to make such a guarantee? You know, I think your premise is exactly right. And frankly, that's a point we acknowledged and attempted to address in our breaking defense piece this week. You know, I mean, I can hardly blame Nicosia. According to reports, there are more than 35,000 troops that Ankara maintains in the northern third of Cyprus. And so I think Cyprus can be forgiven for not wanting to transfer the means to defend itself without appropriate security assurances and without some degree of confidence that those capabilities would be eventually replaced and that there would be steps taken in the interim to secure its national security interests. So I completely get that and am empathetic to it. But, you know, we need to be realistic as we're putting forward these ideas. We try to be uh, accurate, objective, realistic call balls and strikes. And I think we need to acknowledge that there are some practical challenges associated with the deal that we're proposing, that we're urging Washington to pursue. Frankly, you know, it could take years for some of these U.S. replacement systems to arrive due to the long queues for the weapons in some cases and longstanding industrial capacity issues in the United States. I mean, to be blunt, the United States has struggled to fill weapons in a timely way to our own forces. And when we've added the billions of dollars of arms that we provide Ukraine, that's just strained the system further. Plus, you know, if the U.S. industrial base can produce more of these additional armored vehicles, artillery and air defense systems in the short term, you know, Ukraine is likely and frankly should be the destination for those as long as Vladimir Putin continues his invasion. In other words, before we were to provide them to Cyprus. So, you know, that, that does present some challenges, but I think those challenges are not insurmountable. And that's why we argue in our piece quite directly that we think it's the time for the Biden administration to make a deal. As your lead-in kind of suggested, it remains to be seen, at least for me, whether the administration has the vision, the diplomatic savvy, the agility and determination to pull it off. The components and potential for a deal are there, but we'll see whether the White House, again, has the political will to pull it off. And as often the case, as I know from my time working in the U.S. Senate for many years, I think it will depend mightily on whether well-informed members and leaders in Congress understand this opportunity, champion it, and push on a bipartisan basis for the administration to not miss this opportunity. You know, given that new U.S. systems could take years before reaching Cyprus, are there any interim steps that could address Cyprus's security needs in the aftermath of any major transfers to Ukraine? Absolutely. Some examples can include Washington working with European allies to identify interim defense capabilities that they could transfer to Cyprus. And, and some of the listeners might be, wait, I don't get it. We were talking about American capabilities. Well, another kind of less understood element here is that when X third party country in Europe buys an American defense system, according to uh, commitments undertaken when they purchase that system, they have to get approval from Washington to transfer that weapon system to a third country. So now that the arms embargo is lifted on Cyprus, then those third party European countries could transfer some of their U.S. origin equipment to Cyprus. In other words, we don't have to rely just on American weapons uh, that we can send directly. We can also look to American origin weapons that are currently in the arsenals of European countries. So that's one kind of creative way to get those replacement capabilities or at least interim capabilities to Cyprus to facilitate, hopefully, the, the ASAP transfer of some of Cyprus' weapons to Ukraine. You know, and all of this more generally should really be an exciting prospect for Cyprus because, frankly, there's a, a dramatic need for Cyprus to improve its military preparedness. You know, I'm eager to learn more about what American military capabilities and, and capabilities generally Nicosia might like to procure. 
But the United States could perhaps provide, for example, N1 Abrams tanks, right, which to replace the T-80 tanks that I talked about earlier. We could provide striker combat vehicles to kind of replace some of the armored personnel carriers, maybe even AH-64 Apache helicopters and a range of artillery and air defense capabilities. And just kind of reinforcing the point I made earlier is, again, it doesn't even have to be U.S. origin equipment. As an American, I think that'd be great. But, you know, if France has sold anti-air and anti-ship missiles to Cyprus, Israel has sold drones and patrol vessels to Cyprus. So we can meet Cyprus's military requirements and, and defense needs from a variety of sources. And, and this really is a multilateral opportunity and a multilateral challenge. And, and just to, to kind of zoom out for a minute, the goal here is not to stoke war, of course, on Cyprus, but to prevent it by deterring aggression and finally jump-starting genuine negotiations. You know, but if Putin's latest invasion of Ukraine teaches us anything, I think we should spend more time helping beleaguered democracies before invasions and a little less time worrying about provoking autocrats who are inclined to aggression anyways, regardless of the steps we take. I'm talking about a lot of places that we can find these weapons systems, but you know, how do we fund this, right? Uh, Cyprus won't be able to necessarily afford a lot of this. And so how do we fund it? Well, one way to do that would be to add Cyprus to the European Recapitalization Incentive Program, or EREP. You know, EREP is a U.S. State Department program in which foreign military financing is allocated to partner countries to help them transition away from Soviet or Russian equipment and purchase U.S. origin equipment. Exactly what we're talking about. So we have an existing program that could help fund the very thing that we're proposing. In fact, countries such as Greece and Albania have already participated in it to purchase infantry fighting vehicles and helicopters, many of the very same systems that Nicosia would need. And then also one other quick point that I'll hasten to add is that, as many of your listeners may know, there is a UN peacekeeping force in Cyprus that is deployed along the de facto border there. You know, there is some concern that Ankara would try to end that UN peacekeeping mission. And I think that would be a mistake. And I would also note that the mandate for that peacekeeping mission on Cyprus is up for renewal in January 2023. So as kind of one of these interim steps to address genuine security concerns and needs there, I really do believe that Washington should work with its partners to ensure that the mandate is not weakened and that it's there to maintain the buffer zone and deter any aggression or bad ideas that uh, come out of Ankara. Um, so those are just a few ideas about how we can make this deal work and we can address the legitimate interim security concerns uh, of Nicosia. We're wrapping up. While lifting you know, the arms embargo presents this unique short-term opportunity that could help both Ukraine and Cyprus, what additional doors does this move open for the United States and the West to further strengthen Western security interests together with Cyprus in the Eastern Mediterranean in the long term? Is this an opportunity, for example, for Cyprus to further integrate with NATO, perhaps through something like the Transatlantic Alliance's Partnership for Peace program? No, absolutely. You know, other steps could include increased U.S. Navy port calls, combined military exercises and training with Cyprus, and even the temporary stationing of new or additional U.S. and allied rotational forces there with Nicosia's consent, of course. You know, these increased training and exercise opportunities have all kinds of benefits. They increase the readiness of the participating militaries. They strengthen their ability to operate together, something that you and I have talked about in the context of the Ineohos exercise before. And it also sends an increasingly powerful deterrent message to hostile, destabilizing actors in the region that our forces are able to operate more effectively and respond to aggression. You know, in terms of the uh, your question on on NATO integration, the partnership for peace. The bottom line is if Cyprus is jettisoning its Russian equipment and replacing it with Western military equipment, I mean, that's going to absolutely facilitate 
Cyprus has increased integration and interoperability with NATO member countries. And I think that's a good thing for Cyprus. That's a good thing for the United States. It's a good thing for NATO. And it's a good thing for uh, regional security. So, you know, as one last comment, if I may, you know, the U.S. military divides up the world into combatant commands. And the Eastern Med and Cyprus in particular kind of sits at the intersection of three of those combatant commands, European Command, Central Command, and Africa Command. And I think that's one of the reasons why sometimes Cyprus and Eastern Med does not get the focus it deserves. But because it's such an important region at the intersection of these three continents and three areas, and also because its proximity to valuable maritime lines of communication, Moscow and Beijing have been very interested in the region. And so I'm very pleased to see the Biden administration's announcement last week. I think it's a positive sign that the, the region is starting to get more and more of the attention it deserves. But it does remain to be seen whether we'll follow up this positive decision with tangible action, tangible action that I've argued here, I think that can help Ukraine, help Cyprus, advance U.S. interests, and promote regional security. Brad, great speaking with you as always. Thanks for joining us. No, thank you. Appreciate it. In other news, Prime Minister Mitsotakis issued a stern response on Friday to Turkish President Erdogan over the unsubstantiated claims he made against Greece during his speech at the UNGA earlier this week. In his speech to the UN on Friday, Mitsotakis identified security, stability, and the territorial integrity of Greece as Athens's red lines against Turkish aggression. He also referred in detail to the war in Ukraine and the battle that democracies are fighting against authoritarian regimes and commented on the consequences of the war for Europe in both the energy and geopolitical fields. His speech also included references to climate change and the green transition, but also to the need to protect cultural heritage, conveying a clear message on the need for the return of the Parthenon sculptures to Greece. Finally, President Nikos Anastasiadis also delivered his last address to the UNGA on Friday, as his presidential tenure is coming to an end, where he pointed out the irony in Turkish President Erdogan claiming to want to solve issues in the Aegean and the Eastern Mediterranean within the framework of good neighborly relations and in conformity with international law while at the same time threatening Greece, committing thousands of airspace violations of a neighboring country, and refusing to implement UN resolutions on the Cyprus problem. He also called out the UN for adopting a stance of equal distances, even when faced with a violation of its decisions, which he pointed out results in emboldening offending states. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.